The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. The situation that we who are Christians find ourselves in here in this life is a challenging one. We are in Christ and we are in this fallen world simultaneously. And what we can see with our own eyes as we look around at life here in the world often looks hard, really challenging, and sometimes really tempting, inviting. So we, we see that. And then on the other hand, we know that what we've been called to, it, it's, it's presented to us as good and promising, but it can seem distant and perhaps even impossible. So we've got these, these two things together here. We've got the world all around us and walk in the world, walk with Christ, living a life that is new and is distinct from the world and is, and is other than it, is holy here, now, and then glory will come later. Now it's going to be hard. Glory will come later. Pursue that in the world. And we put those things together and maybe say, really? There's a lot here in the world that is pushing against what I've been told as a Christian and what I've been promised as a Christian, pushing against that or maybe pulling me from it, maybe, perhaps we think, it would be better to live not exactly a brand new life contrary to the world, but sort of a modified hybrid life. Maybe, it'd be better to kind of like straddle the fence. Put a foot in the world with all of its blessing and glory and fun and pleasure and security and acceptance and just normalcy, especially if you don't really cross the world. It just feels easy and normal. But I also want a foot in Christ, and I want his grace to mature me and his mercy to forgive me and the promise of heaven. A little bit of both, perhaps. Compromise. And maybe I need to set aside some of this kind of radical, extremist sort of teaching that the Apostle Paul's given me about seeing things with new eyes and living as a new creation, an alien here in this place. Maybe I need to kind of listen to somebody who's got a little more of a flexible perspective. Our passage for today in 2 Corinthians 6 is going to speak to that because that was an issue faced in Corinth. Paul talks to an audience there that is being lured and invited to, they're they're Christians, but maybe some sort of a modified, less extreme perspective would be welcome. He's going to speak to that as a messenger from God. And what he does is he appeals to them to consider Consider the call from God, the message that God actually wants to deliver to us, and then consider my life. Look look at my life and the outcome of it. And view this as actually, really, 
God speaking to you for your good, calling you to walk with him, to live for him, not for yourself and for the world. This is from God, the God who is real, the God who loves us, really. That's what we're going to look at today. Let me read these passages. This passage, this is a, a number of verses, 1 to 13 this morning from chapter 6. And I'm going to draw two observations from it. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in inflictions, hardships, calamities. Beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. By truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are, restricting, are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. 2 Corinthians 6. Make two observations, and here's the first. God appeals to us through his messenger, don't let my saving love go to waste. God appeals to us through his messenger, don't let my saving love go to waste. As we begin chapter 6, we are, again, still closely following this line of thought coming right out of chapter 5. Notice in verse 20, we, Paul, we're talking about himself, he says, I'm an ambassador for Christ, God making his appeal through me. He sets himself up as it's kind of a, a messenger, a, a spokesperson sent, an ambassador, a, a faraway ruler sends somebody to, to deliver message for him. And that's Paul, who is, as he said, in the apostle of Christ by the will of God. He's come with a message, making his, God making his appeal through me. That's verse 20, and it's the same language in our verse 1 today. Paul, working together with God, I appeal to you, you Corinthians, you Christian church. God appeals to you through me. So what's the appeal? Not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
And really the emphasis falls on the in vain part. You could say it, not in vain the grace of God to receive. What does that mean? When he says working together with him then, he kind of clues us in that he's coming to a conclusion here. This is kind of of a summary section here. So in the context, the phrase the grace of God is what he was just talking about. It's a simple way of summarizing all Paul was saying from verse 14 on in the previous chapter. This gospel message we were just looking at It's the message from God about his outpoured sovereign grace. He knew us, sent Christ to be sin in our place, sent him to the cross then to die for us so that we would be reconciled to God. God did that. God reconciled us to himself. He put to death the old us in Christ so that, so that, God could raise up a new us in Christ, new creations who live differently, who see all the world differently through new eyes. That's what God did. That's all 100% God's grace. Indeed, received by faith, once God opens our eyes and we see, but none of a Christian's salvation, not not one iota of it, is is due to us. It is grace from God. Not by works, so that we can't boast. That's the grace of God for us. So what would it mean to receive that grace in vain? As a waste to no significant purpose. Well, it may be an interesting question to consider and kind of perhaps difficult to sort through, but it's actually not that hard if you just kind of work it right back through the passage again. And in fact, I already hinted at it. Look back at verses 14 and 15, previous chapter. Paul saw in the cross the saving love of God for him and, watch this, that love became a point of correct doctrine that Paul agreed to, but which had no significant effect on his actual life such that what he did with his time, resources, and energy, he just kept on living like he had before and like everyone else around him did. Is that what verse 14 says? Of course not. Verse 15. Christ died for me so that when I rose in him, I could live my best life now, fulfilling myself and my goals and my desires. Is that what 15 says? Of course not. On the contrary, and actually on the complete 180 contrary, this grace, this love of God, compelled him, he says. It controlled him. It, it gripped him and pressed him forward. It drove him into a new life, a life lived not for himself, but a life lived for Christ who died for him. That's, that's what 14, 15 actually says. Such that when Paul then comes out the other side of the gospel, he is a new creation with new eyes that sees people and life differently. That's what 16 and 17 says. Who counts himself really and truly as sweetly reconciled to God, as in union with him, received and loved by him. And he knows it and he lives it out and then embraces the ministry call that's on his life to love God and love others in the name of Jesus. 
That's the grace of God received purposefully, appropriately, effectively, not in vain. That's Paul. Everything that's about the, the, the life lived after, that's Paul receiving the grace of God not in vain. And that's his goal for the church too. And to put an additional point on it, verse 2 in our passage, don't waste God's grace, for he says, and then Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah. When Isaiah spoke, God spoke through Isaiah about a time when God would draw near, that he would hear his people's cry and draw near to save. And Paul's conclusion is, behold, what God was talking about is right now. Now is that day. We are, we are objects of a tremendous privilege and kindness. This is the culmination of all of God's eternal plan. This is the climax of the story. This is the pinnacle of history. God has finally drawn near to help us. God has finally drawn near to help you. He's, he's come to fix you, to renew you, to repair you, to put you back, to heal. Right now, that's, that's what's going on. So don't, so, don't, so don't hear that and receive that and then apply it by putting your feet up on the couch and spending all day scrolling through Instagram watching other people's fake lives. Live! Not that Instagram is completely wrong, but you can spend all day suddenly doing that. Live! Live for him who died for you, verse 15. Live as one deeply convinced of the reconciling love of God. Give your mind and your heart and your all to understanding, to perceiving, so that you can comprehend, like Paul did, the love of this God for me. Oh, my word. And so that it deeply sinks into you and grips you and then drives you on to live in this world effectively, not in vain. To live for Christ. That's Paul's desire for the people of God, but he knows the Corinthians were in danger on this point. They're being drawn away, lured by the world, in danger. And that's interesting to know about them, but really it's more important to know about us. Are we in danger on this point? Are you in danger on this point? In danger of drifting away, not... Carefully, this is important to get right doctrinally. Not in danger of losing the reconciliation that has happened. God reconciled us. God put our sin on Christ. And that does not get undone. We are new creations. We never become old creations again. That doesn't happen. It can't be undone. It can't be reversed. But it can be underutilized and squandered such that at the end, when it's all seen clearly, we, you, 
might say, what a waste. What a shame. I wish, and can you put yourself on the spot? Like, imagine this for a second. Back in chapter 4, we talked about the glory that is to come, the, the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We've got to try to put ourselves in that spot. But now, put yourself in the same location with a different spin on it. I wish I had embraced and leaned into this life in Christ when I was alive on earth. Because, chapter 4, verse 17, I would have attained a greater eternal weight of glory if I had lived for the things that are unseen, but which I now very clearly see. I'm in heaven with the Lord, with his people, by amazing grace, under no condemnation. Amen. Wonderful. But I realize here in this spot now, as I consider the chapter 5, verse 10, judgment of me for what I did in the body while I was on earth, I realize I wasted that. I tried to straddle the fence and live on both sides of it. There was so much that was inviting there and that it seemed so good, but I was a Christian, yes, for sure. But one who lived for himself, if I'm honest. And I am honest because I'm in heaven and I'm, there's no deceit here. That's the truth. A Christian and I lived for myself. And I saw life and I lived according to the flesh. And I did not really deeply consider. I, I knew it was true, but I did not really deeply consider, reflect on the reconciliation that God brought to me and the love shown in that. And my life was basically like everybody else's. And Lord, I am sorry. And he will wipe away every tear. He will. He will wipe away every tear. But however exactly that happens there, then, and I don't know exactly how that will happen there, then, but these chapters and these verses, four's offer and five's warning about the judgment, and we could throw in 1 Corinthians 3 or mention the judgment again of Christians, etc. These verses, these chapters, they, they all alert us to something. When we are there, we will know the truth about now and we'll be accountable for it. And there will be loss. 
So we should not receive this great divine grace in vain. But rather purposefully and effectively, this grace we should receive. Live as the new creations we are. Kindly God has made us new and kindly God gives himself to us to enable this. So walk it out, live in it. And that doesn't mean we're going to look exactly like Paul. Paul is unique. He's a man, he's a human being just like us. But he's an apostle and those don't exist anymore. He is uniquely called to a, to a special spot in, in God's great eternal plan. So that's, that's not going to be exactly what we are called to. But in some way, according to our circumstances and to our giftings, we are called to follow Christ and to live for him. Exactly what that means here at, at this, the turning point in time when God's calling in his sheep, when we are, we are at the end of the end. What that looks like, I don't know. Ask yourself, what does that look like for me? Just this morning, I was, I was reading an old prayer written by uh, Puritans long ago. A Puritan wrote this, so it's directed towards God. It's a prayer. And he said, surely there are two things worth living for. To further your cause in the world and to do good to the souls and bodies of people. to further your cause in the world and to do good to the souls and bodies of people. You can kind of hear in that gospel-centered mission across the spectrum there, all of it's God's, God's cause and often it's going to involve people and their souls and their bodies doing good to them in Jesus' name. That is not instead of going to work and playing with your kids and going to the gym and watching a movie and mowing the lawn and playing a game. It's in all of those things, in all of life. Are you alert to the call on your life that, that this gospel renewal brings with it? A call, I saved you to live not for yourselves, but for me and for others. Don't receive that saving grace in vain. So what would God point out to you here? I, I don't know what it would be for your life. But I know where it would start. It would start where it started for Paul. Giving yourself to contemplating the reconciling work and love of God for you. That thankful and amazed by the grace and the love you'd be driven on not by a sense of duty, but by an amazing love. The message, the place where Paul starts this chapter, which is really the conclusion of the previous chapter, is to say, God has a word for you through me. I appeal to you, don't let the saving love, the grace of God, be wasted. Reflect upon it, contemplate it until it drives you on to a life lived for him.
That's the message that we need to consider. And then we also need to see a life, to consider a life, the life of the messenger and see where this message got him, what it got him. I think there's strangely some hope in this. Strangely, because it got him a lot of hardship. That's what we'll consider next. It seems to me, though, as I'm... Before I go to the next point, I just want to say, brothers and sisters, I think that there's something that, that is laid before us in this, this simple appeal here, verse 1, that is difficult but life-promising. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing so self-consuming as, as the life turned inward. It feels very natural, but it kind of eats your lunch after a while. What he's calling us to is difficult, but it's actually life-giving to say, live for Christ and for other people. And I think what we see in Paul is that that's going to bring you a lot of hardship. It's also going to bring you life. So here's the second observation. Paul's life commends embracing and emulating him and his message. Paul's life commends embracing and emulating him and his message. Verse 3 begins to describe himself and his life. And he's, he's doing this against, he knows, he's, he's speaking against accusers there in Corinth who are constantly trying to, to lob bombs at him and say that he's in this for himself and he's corrupt and he's deceitful. and that, So therefore they shouldn't listen to him and shouldn't follow him. So he's... He's speaking against that, and really he's saying, think about this, guys. You know me. No one should have any grounds to discredit my ministry or my message. But in fact, verse 4, quite the opposite. And what follows then is a long list, which has an interesting structure to it. Now, we're just going to kind of skip through verses 3 to 10, note some things along the way, but many of the words and phrases are obvious to us. We understand what they mean, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about them. But we're going to follow through and look at it. So first, he begins with the general descriptions. He endured in every way with great endurance, which might be the understatement of the day, generally in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities. Well, specifically, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots. So those are afflictions and hardships done to him by others, trying to hurt him or shut him up. And then verse 5 ends with specific hardships that he probably brought upon himself in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. Paul worked with his own hands as a tent maker, a leather worker of all sorts. So he had kind of two full-time jobs. And what he's probably getting at here is he burned the candle at both ends to just barely squeak by for the sake of the ministry. Often he went without food and without sleep, and he, he just barely made it hardships that he willingly embraced along with the hardships done to him by others. And through all of it, verse 6, he pursued it in purity, 
in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love. This was his character through all of that affliction and hardship. And probably, because the Holy Spirit's mentioned here, but the power of God comes up a little bit later in the next verse, probably what he means to talk about here is the fruit of the Spirit. Lastly, supremely, which is love, sincere love. That's what I was like while all the hardships of life here in this world washed over me. The fruit of the Spirit shone through me, especially love. While I, verse 7, lived in truthful speech, or better, as the NAS puts it, in the word of truth and in the power of God, he preached the gospel, the word of truth, truth and the power of God with weapon in left hand and right. And drawing on how he uses the military analogies elsewhere, he probably means the, sh- the shield of faith in the left and the sword of the spirit in the right. This is, this is his ministry, preaching the gospel in the power of God with the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. He ministered the gospel message through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. He patiently endured, kindly in love, marked by the character power of the fruit and the ministry power of God. And he can say all this because they know him. He he lived among them for a long time and he's had a lot of interaction with them. He's just reminding them, this is who I am. Now, I know there are some there who call me an imposter, but I'm true. That's how I'm treated. And and they say that I'm unknown, I'm a nobody, but I tell you something, I am well known in certain circles, in certain divine, supernatural circles. And you know me, in fact, yourselves. And as we move then through 9 and 10, we get an interesting bit of irony here. Both sides of these these, uh, dichotomies here, these these contrasts, they're, they're both actually true. It's just that one has more weight in Paul's life. People do regard him this way. Yeah, that's my reality. But here's something else that's a bigger reality. I am dying every day. I I face afflictions and I'm a clay pot. I am dying every day, but I'm alive. I'm living. And I'm punished, I'm beaten and imprisoned, like I just said, but I am not yet killed. I am sorrowful. I'm a sorry sight to look at. And getting beaten and being exhausted and hungry and abandoned by friends and in danger all the time, I have a lot to mourn, but I am always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. I'm penniless, dead flat broke, living hand to mouth, dependent on the provision of others to care for me, but I am making many people supremely rich in the most important of ways. And so you look at me, and I look at me, and I have nothing. The world looks at me, and I have nothing. But chapter 5, verse 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and on, I tell you, I have everything. 
everything. And we could call to mind what he said to them in 1 Corinthians about how life and death, the present and the future, all things are mine and yours, Christian. Because we're in Christ and all things are his and everything is being bent towards our good. Everything. I have everything. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have a penny, but I have everything. So that's three to ten. Why is that here? Well, not to say that we're supposed to copy that. I don't know if we could copy that. It's, it's here for two reasons. There are two things going on in verses 3 to 10. One, that's explicit. He lays all this out explicitly so as to clear away any kind of an obstacle in their minds to the appeal in verses 11 to 13. I've been open and honest with you just now and always And I'll put that out there in front of you because you know that's true. I've been open and honest with you always, and my heart is wide open to you. Paul's got a big heart for them. And he's he's telling them even now, I I have a great heart of love towards you. There is a blockage in the channel here between us, but it's not on my end, it's on your end. And you guys, I'm speaking to you like my children. Reciprocate the love. The specific appeal then, widen your hearts towards me like mine is towards you. Now, Paul does not ask for that because he's lonely and needs friends. Love me because I need to be loved. I'm feeling bad over here. That, That is not what he's doing, not at all. Rather, this appeal, open wide your hearts to me, love me, embrace me, It's got a a very pointed reason behind it. Think of the ambassador analogy or the messenger from a foreign ruler analogy here. To use that analogy, Paul knows as interacting with Corinth that they are in danger of breaking off diplomatic relations. He's an ambassador sent from the kingdom of God on an errand from the king and you can't shut your heart and shut the door in my face and turn away and listen to someone else and expect to keep good relations with the king who sent me. I'm the messenger. So open the door, throw it open in and open your arms and open your heart and receive me in and embrace me in my message and the God who sent me. That's the explicit purpose of verses 3 to 10 here. Because of the situation he's facing in Corinth, he knows there are people trying to pull them away and they're wondering, do I listen to Paul or not? Do I listen to the, the messages and offers of the world or do I listen to Paul who's speaking for God? They're, they're straddling the fence here and he sees the danger and he's trying to call them over. That's them which is not exactly our situation because we, we meet Paul differently and we meet him in, in word here. He's, he's a book to us, not, not a, a person that we would actually physically welcome in. But the same sort of situation does present itself to the church. Paul speaks for God. We have to hear Paul in all that he writes. Paul's word is God's word to us. And we have to have open hearts in front of him, in front of this word, and say, whatever you say, I will embrace. 
It's the truth from God. And when it promises and offers me hope, I'll embrace it. Even when the world offers me something else, I'll embrace it. I'll recognize it as true. That, that's, that's a message to us who are in the church, and perhaps it's a message to some who aren't really sure what you think about the Bible and what Paul writes and this big focus on, on this Jesus, the only way. What do you think about that? Well, consider the life of this Paul. Paul thought Jesus was an imposter and was an enemy of his, therefore, until he met the risen Jesus himself. He did not become convinced of some different ideas. He met the risen Jesus supernaturally, miraculously, and was changed. And from then on, embraced this life. Hard, for sure. But what did he find in it? He found that, that embracing this life and walking through this life, I can really live because what I've found there is I've found God. And I've found the forgiveness, the reconciliation that was in him, and I've found that I can walk in a great love that overcomes all of this hardship. This is the life we were made for. I found it. And you can too. And it comes in what Paul teaches us. That Christ was made sin, that Christ was crucified, and that Christ trusted gives us forgiveness, brings us into union with God, and gives us life. That, that's offered to you, and you can be set free to walk a new life. Paul's life commends that. He found it. But that walk a new life thing and Paul's life commending it, that's, that's kind of what connects us to the second purpose, which is not explicit, but is implied all throughout. And this is maybe where, maybe where it touches many of us in the church a little more closely. Because a lot of us, I think, probably, you probably agree, this is the word of God and I, sh I should hear it and heed it. Okay. So here's something else here. Paul is not only saying, look at my life, you can and should trust me and embrace me. He's also saying, look at my life, you can and should emulate me. Emulate me. This is what the Christ-like, Christ-formed, cross-formed life looks like. This is what it looks like to live out 14, 15, 16, and so on. We're all called to this in, in different ways according to our circumstances and gifting, but we're all called, called to follow Christ and to live for him, to live for him who himself, if you think about it, this is his life too. This is Christ's life who endured affliction and hardship and beatings and riots and endless work and sleepless nights with nowhere to lay his head. 
but full of the Spirit, he preached the gospel in power, slandered as an imposter, completely misunderstood by everyone, friends included, abandoned in the end, punished and killed, but alive again and made heir and possessor of everything and all of that to make us very rich. To make us very rich. Loving us and living for us and dying for us and living again for us so that we might walk in newness of life living for him. Living like him following him as new creations. And we can live like this. Paul did. It will bring suffering. It must. We're here in this world. We're just clay pots. And we're going to get dinged up. We must. But full of the Spirit, we can and will find real life. Paul did. And I think that's the tension that as we hear all these Bible verses of the last several weeks and we consider all these different things, I think the tension there is I look around at the world and I see, if not exactly like Paul, I see the need for great endurance in afflictions and hardships and calamities and beatings and imprisonments and riots. Not exactly like that, but like that sort of. I see the afflictions of the world, and I reckon I'm a clay pot. And I see the invitations of the world. You know how you could avoid all that? You know how you could skip at least a good portion of that? Is set aside all the extremism and just kind of go with the flow. I, I see all that, and it is attractive. And there's a challenge there, a threat there. And then I also have this, this maybe it's pie in the sky offer of, of, but it will be good. And glory comes later. I, I see this and I kind of say, really? And Paul's life says, Really? I walked it out through all the afflictions, through all the attacks and bruising and all the sufferings and hardships. And I tell you, and he can say to them because they actually knew him, sorrowing, but come on, you know me, I am ever rejoicing. Having nothing, but come on, you know me. Why am I rejoicing? Because I got everything. They looked at his life. They, they could live with him and see that. We, we unfortunately have to get it through the pages. But there's something here that, that God's offering to us and saying, by his spirit, this can be, it was. Look at him. He found truth amidst accusation and lies. And he found human fellowship and divine friendship amidst abandonment. And he found real life amidst clay pot life slipping away. And he found rescue and protection and deep, deep joy amidst sorrow. He found satisfaction and purpose amidst worldly poverty, and he found and enjoyed everything while it looked like he had nothing because in 
Christ, he found the love of God for him. And that's the answer. Reconciling grace and mercy and wide, long, high, deep love, sovereign, saving, eternal love poured out by God on you. You can see it in Paul, and that commends to you walk this path. But don't you know it yourself? Haven't you ever tasted that and seen it? It's real. This is who God is. Paul's God and yours, Christian. So go to him and know him and follow him and enjoy him forever. This one is the lover of your soul. The world isn't. The world hates you. It smiles while it holds a knife behind its back. It hates you. And so is the one who is in the world. He hates you. But there is a lover of your soul. And Paul's life commends. Look, you, you can take it on my, my life. I walked it out and I found it. And I think that's part of the, I don't think, I know that is part of the purpose in the fellowship of believers. That when we doubt and when we feel like there's, there's it's a better bet to straddle the fence to see some who are saying, nope, I'm pursuing Christ, I'm living for him, and I'm finding, I'm finding life. It's part of the purpose of leadership. It's part of the purpose of mature, older saints in a, in a fellowship of people. You can say, I've been walking with them for 50 years. Look. Look at the sorrows and look at the joy. Look at the life spent and the life gained. Look. His life, Paul's life, the lives of Christian leaders, the lives of older saints, they, they commend to us, believe and embrace this message and emulate it. Walk with God and find life. Christian, Paul's appeal, God's appeal through Paul do not receive the grace of God in vain, but embrace it fully and walk it out. And in Christ, find life. Let me pray. Lord, we need your spirit to convince us of this. Paul's not living in front of us. He's been dead a long time now. We don't see him. And what we see with our eyes is hard and mixed. That's the way it is. So will you show us, will you give us power to see with our eyes of faith, the eyes of our hearts, Spirit of God, shine light on the truth. Cause us to embrace it and to walk it out. Will you make us a people, please? Will you make us a church, please? That sees you 
and that lives not for ourselves, but for you, Lord Jesus, the one who died for us and was raised for us. Thank you. And please, thank you for what you've done. Please do more. Mature us and grow us up. And lead us on after you. You are our leader and our commander. We want to follow you. So help us, please. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.